0: Welcome to Courage and Spice, the podcast for humans with self-doubt. I'm Sass Petherick and this is episode number 53, The Protector. Hello lovely people, I'm still on a bit of a high to be honest. Last Friday I spent the day working in a castle in Devon. Seriously, I was speaking at All, which is an annual conference here in the southwest for makers and creative business owners. And it's run by my friend Helen Bottrell of the Creative Business Network. Um, It's a brilliant day. We had so much fun. It was one of those kick yourself moments like, wow, I get to do this for the day. This is a work day for me. But I have to admit, like speaking about my work to big groups is not my favourite thing. I much prefer intimate settings and in smaller circles. I like to be able to connect with people, read the room. Um, but I also know that my self-doubt has a tendency to want to keep me in those small safe circles too. And if I get too big, I'll end up alone is one of my self-doubt's favourite protective beliefs. So in this episode, I wanted to talk to you uh, about the protector, about why I tend to say yes to things that make me want to throw up a little bit, but also how you can start to build a relationship with your protector. So the protector is the way I characterize self-doubt. It's the combination of all the coping mechanisms you have devised over the course of your life, To keep yourself safe from the big seven risks. Rejection, conflict, success, judgment, failure, complexity, and disappointment. The protector is constantly scanning our environment, looking at the people, the events, the experiences and tasks that put us in the path of these risks. It's the part of our psyche that says, don't do that, you might hurt yourself. So the entire point of The Protector, its entire purpose, is to deflect us from risk and keep us safe. So when I said yes to Helen to speak at All, my Protector got all riled up. And uh, the last month for me has been spent in a kind of mix of procrastinating and over-preparing. I may have watched a little Netflix and these are the ways that I guess I'm protecting myself from things like rejection and success. It's that fundamental belief for me, if I get too big, I'll end up alone. Now in the past, I used to be a bit more flaky McFlakster. So I would just say yes to everything and then freak out about what it meant to do it, how much I had to do, procrastinate for weeks and then often cancel at the last minute. Now this probably resulted in more rejection and conflict than showing up ever would have. But these days I'll follow through. And mostly that's because I just really like how it feels to trust myself that I'll do what I say. And I also recognize just how valuable it is to have an opportunity to experiment to test out the validity of these beliefs that are protecting me. So for me, the experience of speaking in public to a large group is one thing, but it's also underneath that a, a real opportunity for me and my protector to kind of have a look at what we're made of. I get to test out the protective belief. Is it true that if I get too big, If I am offered or even seek out opportunities for speaking and writing and teaching that expand me and grow my work, is it true that this results in me being alone? And in order to change that belief or to test it out, I really need to create some evidence to play with that can only happen with real world experience. This doesn't mean that the process is easy or simple or feeling free right? It's actually full of all the feels. So like I said, the preparation part of this process for me was full of over, overworking and procrastination. And and I never sleep well the night before an event. I usually have anxiety dreams that I trip up on the way to the stage or I freeze in front of everyone or I start speaking and my teeth fall out, <laughs> you know, standard stuff. <laughs> um In a former life, I once spoke at the Association of Chief Police Officers annual conference and it was on the hottest day of the year in a room with no air conditioning. So they'd brought these fans in, but I was convinced that my notes or my frock or my dignity would blow away. So I asked them to turn off the fan, pointed at the stage, and I just melted under the lights and almost passed out. So I'm always worried about things that could go wrong. But I also recognize that the part of me that's a little bit obsessed with this is just my protector. And I know this part of me so intimately now, how it tries so hard to protect me by holding me back, um, how it is always on the lookout for risk. And because I'm wise to my protector, to my self-doubt, I know how to take care of myself. So I'll do things like write notes in case the technology doesn't work. I have an early night, even if I know I'm not going to sleep well. I meditate for longer than usual. I listen to a podcast on the way to the venue that will take me out of my own head. And in case you're wondering, on Friday, I was listening to Krista Tippett interview ta Coates for the On Being podcast, one of my favourites. And on Friday, while I was waiting to go on, I just allowed myself to take in the energy of the room. Helen had created such a fun and relaxed atmosphere. There was a lot of connection on the tables. So I just kind of let myself be there. I said a short prayer, let this be helpful, let me be present. And standing in front of the group, I just imagined that this was a room full of people who were so excited to hear from me. And I took a deep breath and I felt my feet sink into the floor and I began. And it wasn't perfect, right? It never is. But my mission is to be an example of what's possible when I show up imperfectly, with my self-doubt and without all of my shit together. My kind of mantra is just know your stuff, over-prepare, speak from the heart, be real, trust your audience. And while my protector was there hovering in the background, I was very much focused on the people in the room. And my talk was an interactive session about the beliefs that underpin self-doubt that show up while you're running a small business. Afterwards, a few people came up to say thank you and to chat more. And this continued into lunch and during lunch. It was fantastic. I met some amazing women. And I drove home really soaking it all in, just seeing what I wanted to remember, mostly how relaxed I felt. Now that I've done this a few times, I'm just so much better at taking care of myself. And how much I laughed, how moved I was by what others shared, how many people connected to my work, to me. And I just replayed the day, looking for evidence. Is it true that if I get too big, I will end up alone? And when faced with actual evidence of standing in front of a room of over 100 people, I was able to see that this belief does not bear out in real life. And this felt better than last time, the time before that. Every time I allow myself to face the risks, I create new evidence that I'm okay. And my protector kind of backs off. So my experience of public speaking to large groups has gone from tying myself in knots for weeks beforehand and afterwards and drowning my anxiety in a lot of pina noir to nowadays where it's something I can do. It's not my preference but I can do it and I can do it in a way that feels calm and grounded and full of compassion for myself. So how do you get to do this for you? (laughs) Well, that's what I wanted to talk to you about today. Um, And I have five things to know about your protector so that you can start to begin a relationship with this part of you, this self-doubt, so you can characterize it into something you can kind of hold. And if you want to explore this concept in depth, do come and check out your self-belief map. In this program, which starts next week, you'll meet your protector and get to understand more about why it's showing up in the way it is, holding you back from specific aspects of your life, even the things you really want. So here are five awesome things to know about your protector. The first is it's so much more sophisticated than an inner critic. Now, much of the conventional thinking about self-doubt tends to describe an inner critic or self-saboteur that creates imposter syndrome. So we have this tiny judge that sits on our shoulder hurling abuse about how rubbish we are, and it's only a matter of time before everyone else finds out. But this just does not bear out in the research. It doesn't reflect many people's experience of self-doubt, and frankly, it feels a little misogynistic. Because self-doubt is viewed by the mainstream media as very much a woman's experience. And this is simply false. In every mass survey, at least 70% of all respondents, regardless of gender, report a marked experience of self-doubt. And this characterization of self-doubt as an inner critic puts us in a position of being in a battle with a faulty or broken or persecuting part of ourselves. So this sets us up with this internal conflict where the only way through is to infantilize this critic or use willpower to fake it, or, crikey, learn how to manifest what you want. So we end up in this double bind of not taking any action towards what we want and blaming ourselves for being stuck. It completely ignores all the systemic cultural narratives that perpetuate and benefit, often profit, from self-doubt. So this approach can just leave us trapped in comparison with others who seem to find it all much easier. From money, and work, and parenting, activism, to laundry, we feel like everyone else has their stuff together because they've somehow managed to shut up their inner critic. It creates a sense of loneliness that somehow we're the outsider, we don't fit in, there's something wrong with us. So your protector is way more sophisticated than an inner critic. And this is the second thing I want you to know. Your protector is as old as you. It's been a witness to your entire life. So we're all born innocent into the lottery that is family. And we learn through the people we grew up with how to take care of ourselves, how we get our needs met, what's expected of us, how to belong, how to be accepted, how to navigate a life living with other people. And as we learn how the world works, we're collecting information all the time and we begin to form a sense of who we need to be in order to have safety and belonging. So for those of us who grew up in unsafe or chaotic families, Your protector may have saved you from substantial harm. If speaking up invited the judgment or criticism of a sibling or parent, you will have learnt to keep your thoughts and opinions to yourself. Or maybe you grew up with a perfect family where there was no room to ever make a mistake. Perhaps there was the sense that you couldn't do anything right or you were being compared to a sibling. We protect ourselves the best way we know how, when we're very young. And when these ways seem to work or seem to offer some comfort to us, they become fused with our sense of self. So throughout these experiences and relationships, our protector is like a radar constantly scanning the events and the people that cross our path looking for potential risk. It remembers every single one of our hurts and it's trying to protect us from ever repeating them. So our protector is this combination of all the coping mechanisms, all the ways we've found to take care of ourselves. So your protector is the witness to your life. Number three, your protector is always focused on the past. So our protectors are basing every response to what is risky on previous information, on things that happened a long time ago, usually when emotions were running really high. And then we just made a meaning out of that event and decided it was true. And it's never been challenged. We've never thought to question it. And so there's some really great ways that you can begin to bring your protector up to date. And that is about creating new evidence, um, allowing your protector to see that the past events may not still apply. The risks may not still be as great. So there's two great tactics to create new evidence: revelation and experimentation. So one of the really brilliant business owners that I chatted to at the conference said after our workshop that she had discovered a self-doubty protective belief that she couldn't grow her business. But when she looked at developing a more helpful conscious belief She revealed to herself that she has grown her business dramatically in the last few years since she began. So she was able to use that revelation to change how she was seeing her plans to grow her business and suddenly her self-doubt didn't have such a hold on her. So I highly recommend reflecting on what evidence you might have forgotten or dismissed or just let slip from your mind. Right? revelation is a great tactic for creating new evidence. And if your memory isn't revealing any evidence, go create some. Right, as soon as you begin to experiment, you create new evidence. So whatever you're holding yourself back from, take some imperfect action towards that thing and see what happens. So if your self-doubt is holding you back from ever speaking up in a work meeting, Experiment with just putting your hand up, even saying something that is a bit basic or really easy to do. Just build evidence slowly. Do the doable thing, make it imperfect, and begin to challenge or experiment with this belief that is holding you back. Number four, your protector is longing to be included by you. And I think one of the most Moving aspects of healing a lot of self-doubt comes from creating a relationship with your protector. And this means getting on speaking terms. When your protector was created, you were much younger. You didn't have access to the tools and the resources, the wisdom, the experience that you do now. And so can you speak to your protector as if it were a frightened child. That is often where our protective voices kind of get stuck. So, if you can bring some compassion to this part of you that is just trying desperately to keep you safe from risk, you can bring some real healing to yourself. And the most important question I have found to ask is what's at risk here? What are you frightened of? And then you just let your protector communicate to you. It might be on paper, an answer may just bubble up within you, but you can trust that that is your protector talking to you. And the risk may sound disproportionate or irrational, just unwelcome. And you can speak to this part of you as if it were a frightened child. You as the adult, the oldest and wisest you'll ever be in this moment, you get to decide If this risk is able to be managed, if it's outdated, inherited or disproportionate, but your response brings your adult self to this frightened child part of you that is your protector. And number five, working with your protector allows you to have compassion and empathy for other people's protectors. So the really crazy fun thing, I think, that happens when you start to honor your own protector is that you begin to have a deeper understanding for other peoples. So I found that we never do anything without reason. And some of those reasons may not be obvious or even conscious. But when I meet folks who I can see are holding themselves back, where self-doubt has a real grip on them, Sometimes they might come out with stuff that's quite disruptive or rude or attention seeking um, or they may say nothing at all. But depending on the context, if someone is a client, I've found so much healing can happen in disarming their resistance by simply honoring their protector. Just by saying, I'll bet there is a really good reason why you're seeing things that way. There is a softening. We focus so much on behavior in our culture, what people do or say or don't do or don't say. And this is the last stage of conscious thought. There's so much going on behind this that we're just not aware of. But just by honoring someone's protector, you immediately enable some safety and trust and connection. So in the past, Self doubt, my protector was very much in the driver's seat of my life. And these days, there's a much smaller version of my protector tucked into the back seat, never allowed access to the steering wheel or the map. So I let my protector get on with monitoring things, letting me know when something feels risky. But I found that the fastest, most effective way to work through self doubt is with your protector to honour the role it's playing with some compassion and curiosity. And if the idea of meeting your protector, of building a relationship with it, has you intrigued, please do check out your self-belief map. In the program, you'll meet your protector, you'll be able to study this concept and apply it in a really relevant and touching way to your life. Okay, lovely people, thank you so much for listening. I will see you next time.